Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your boy, C-I-Z-Z-Y, or you might just know me as Collis, the host of the Voices of Value podcast, back at it again with another episode of the show. And look, I tell you guys, every single week, we're going to come back with a fire guest, and I've yet to lie to you, you know, I've yet to lie to you. Okay, that's a lie. I lied to you a few times in the past, but we're here with another fire guest. I'm super happy to have him on the show, my guy, Seth who I've spoke about in the past, recommended we, you know, chat. And uh, here we are a few months later making it happen. So with that being said, my brother, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is uh, Babir Sultan with uh, Fade Trip. Fade Trip is a chain of convenience stores and gas stations here in the Kansas City and surrounding area. I've been uh, in the business for over uh, 16 years. I studied at UMKC and graduated with my executive master's at Rockhurst University. I love it, man. I love it. And and with that being said, you know, we have to dive into the early history of Babier. And, and let's start with, and I know this is an annoying question, but I want to hear maybe two or three ways people have totally butchered your first name. Okay, I want to hear two or three ways people have totally butchered your first name, specifically when you were a, a, a young kid or a teenager in, in that age group. What were yeah. what were older adults calling you and you had to correct them? I mean, uh, usually they land pretty good, but uh, a lot of the time it's like ba- Baba or I say not Baba, but there's an R in there somewhere. But by beer or buy there. Some of them like to poke fun and say, buy me a beer is one of them. But yeah, I. I for most of the parts, they they get it right. You know, it's by beer. I love it. I love it, man. So, where did you grow up? Like, where does the origins of your story begin? Are you a? Uh, I know on LinkedIn it says Lawson, Missouri. So, is it Lawson? Is it Casey Metro area? Yeah. Is it Colorado? Where do the origin stories of Babir start? I, I uh, my younger youth time, I spent a lot in Pakistan. So when I moved, uh, when I was about twenty five or so, I moved to New York. And did any and all kinds of odd jobs from Dunkin' Donuts to construction, doorman job, whatever you name it. Eventually, I landed at a JFK airport uh, as a you know computer network admin. So I landed that job. So originally from Brooklyn, New York, and then uh, made my way to Missouri. Came to visit, fell in love with Missouri. I never looked back. I love it. I love it. My my girlfriend's from Brooklyn, so I gotta ask, what a what a neighborhood or specific part of Brooklyn were you hanging out a lot in? Coney Island, a lot nice. of Pakistani community and down there, so that's where we usually land at. I love it. And you know, in in you know, respects to your roots, is there a large Pakistani community here in Kansas City that you're able to tap into, or yeah. or is that like? You know, because I know a few Pakistani kids I went to school with, but I haven't heard of like a large group or a large community of people or a specific neighborhood. So talk a little bit about how you were able to find community once you landed here in Kansas City. And why why did you come to Kansas City in the first place? Yeah, I, we came to visit friends and family who were in the convenience store business. And when I came here, I, I was thinking I'm going to work for Sprint. And I did land a job at Sprint uh, to work for them in the IT department. But uh you know, we'll get into that as well. But uh, yeah, back to the community side of thing. Usually if you have a mosque around there, uh, you know, a church, like a Muslim church, a lot of community surrounds that area. For for here, that would be, you know, Bannister and Blue Ridge area, where we have a store as well near there. 
And the other one in Overland Park is 151st Street, Overland Park. There's a lot of, you know, Pakistani, Indian kind of community down there. I love it. I love it. And you threw something in there that I know we didn't plan on like diving into the history of this, but would you mind sharing like the, I guess, similarities and non-similarities or the history and the roots between Pakistan and India? I know there is a a, a close tie there just from, again, my girls from Brooklyn. So I spent a lot of time in New York and just, you know, made a lot of different friends and have heard a little bit about the history. But for those folks who are ignorant to the history of that, would you mind just sharing whatever you want to? So Pakistan, India, uh, before 1947 or 49, it was one country. It wasn't divided. But then the British came along and, uh, you know, set their rule over there. Eventually, there was a a lot of fights among them. And then uh, eventually, Hindu wanted their own side of things and Muslim country wanted their own thing. And they got their independence, basically, from each other. Uh, And um, to this day, there's a part of the partition like Kashmir is still divided where does it go but originally it was one country but then it got divided out where you know Pakistan gets its own territory and India were meant for Hinduism you know Hindus and Muslims kind of got separated but originally they come from the same same uh before 1947 I believe it was and from like a cultural perspective around like food or music or um, dress wear, like how similar are the cultures between, you know, let's say, is, what what part of India is closest to Pakistan? Is it Northern India, Eastern India, Western India? I'm, I'm not familiar ge- geographically. Not 100% on which side is close, but they share borders. So they're close to each other uh, for sure. But as far as like culture and dressing and food goes, for sure, there's a lot of similarities can't really tell apart sometimes too uh but definitely but if you go look at you know like the islamic traditional dress code is very different than uh you know somebody that's a hindu is very different so but a lot of food side of things and everything obviously the way maybe we meet it might be different you know certain ways i know hindu is i believe you're not allowed to eat a cow and for us, we do eat cows, I mean, uh, beef and everything else, but it has to be cut in a certain way. So there's a lot of similarities for sure because of the history they have with each other. I love it. And, and did you grow up with siblings? Are you are you one of many? Are you one of two? Are you the only child? Like talk many, about many the siblings. family background. Yeah, many siblings. Uh, overall, eight total, including myself. So I grew up in a Same over family. here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big family for sure, with a lot of different, uh, you know, perspective. I love it. I love it. Do you feel like that was a benefit as you started to get older in terms of understanding business or understanding relationships or how to approach, you know, interacting just in general? Do you feel like your older or younger siblings helped you learn or give you a new perspective that that way you didn't have to learn like a second time around, if that makes sense. I know the yeah. youngest of eight myself, I got the opportunity to learn from all the mistakes of those before me. So yeah. I was better off. Yeah, definitely. You can always learn from everybody. But it starts usually at the house level for sure. So if I was looking for educational inspiration, one of my older brothers got his doctorate degree. He was one. And then everybody has their own, uh, you know, takes on it where, my younger brother's way more patient than me as I would like to be, you know, so you get to take the best part from everybody and kind of become your own character yourself as well. Right. But definitely everybody definitely has influence besides your parents, sibling. I think are the next closest thing to have an influence on your upcoming, you know, bringing Absolutely. in everything. 
Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of parents, like when you think about a, maybe a characteristic or a character trait or like a certain lesson that either one of your parents taught you that has really like been a core principle when it comes to business and running Fave Trip and how you interact with your employees, what character trait do you think you pulled most and has been helpful um, that you grabbed or learned from one of your parents? Yeah, Devin, when you're kids of immigrants, right, you definitely, the the big idea is you came in the land of opportunity, you definitely are going to work hard, no matter what. So the hard work, the day and night kind of, yeah, that definitely adopted for my parents, you know, when you come from another, we're here for a reason to make a living, to support the family and everything. So definitely got that from my parents to work hard, no matter what. I love that, man. I love that so much. And, you know, when it comes to education and entrepreneurship, oftentimes, especially in immigrant families, there's sometimes a uh, a little bit of drama there. Like, no, I want you to go become a doctor or a lawyer yeah, and definitely. go to school. And then, you know, on the flip side, you know, maybe a kid wants to go chase a entrepreneurial dream of theirs or go open a business or go, I don't know, to the military. And sometimes that creates like yeah. a... a you know, a line between the parent and the child. What was that experience like for you and your family? Was was it was there any drama there around the entrepreneurship yeah, side of things? Yeah, in, in early stages, definitely, you know, especially Asian parents, they always want their kid, whether it's a doctor or a lawyer, is common doctor more than anything. In the early stages, there was that thought, but eventually, you know, uh education was big on them because my, my parents were educated. So they were really pushing me on that, and I was very much against it. Eventually, one thing, I don't know what triggered, but they had a hard time keeping me out of college instead of sending me college anymore, right? Even at this age, I continue to get a, you know, education at Rockhurst, whether it's data, you know, science classes or anything like that. But uh, business as well, for their mindset, once you own a business, you want to sleep and breathe, everything is business, right? Uh, and that was the mindset when we got into that. It goes back to the mentality of working hard. But then we, I like to find a balance, right, of uh, it's also that you definitely want to work hard, but you also want to have a, you know, focus on your health, your mental health, physical health, and everything else for sure. Absolutely. I love that. And we'll dive into that a little bit deeper. But I do want to question, like, what was the draw to school? Like, you know, you've been in you've been in business, I believe, for over 12 years, 13 years. So what was the draw to go back to school? What was that like? desire i guess like what what inspired you what was that trigger because i know for a lot of people especially entrepreneurs they're like super anti-school i would never go back there's no reason for me to go back so what was that for you what was that story yeah i, I almost uh my education experience got quite the opposite a lot of people get the business later and the education first so i was running one of the stores when i started going to college so i was learning on the job as i go along right i had no idea I I recently watched that Amazon show, uh, Susie, uh, Miss Marvelous, I think it's called. Um, Susie starts interviewing people for a job. And as she's interviewing, she keeps going back and forth to see what she should say. So that's how I felt. I, I watched one of those episodes last night and it was literally that same feeling where I'm asking my professor about hiring people, marketing, branding, all that stuff. So it, it's pretty good being able to apply what I learned was definitely a blessing where I had the business. At the time, I only had my GED at the time when I started my first business, the first store. So definitely education uh, played a key role in kind of helping me 
with that where how, how do I grow from here and all that so on the opposite way and anybody saying anti kind of business people yeah I, I think it goes back to if you're getting education for the sakes of credits and everything and you don't have no use of it because I have a lot of friends that got their bachelor's or you know PhDs or master's but they don't apply that in the actual life or their business or even job yeah I would be totally against that as well but if somebody has a place to apply it and you learn and this is your actual career, you got to continue to learn and grow. That's, you know, some of your strength as well. We'll talk about Strength Finder books as well here, where that made me realize some of my strength and how do I hone in on those more and more. So I Absolutely. thought something wrong with me that I keep driving back to get more education. I can't stop. I wish there was an on and off button, but we'll talk about that too. For sure. For sure. And that kind of brings up this like thought process. Like what if we started pushing the the reverse, like you just said, like maybe kids, especially kids who are interested in going to school for like business or something like that, go out there and work for a business owner and or go out there and start your own business. And or if you're already in a position to be in a management position at a business, really try to hone your skills there, spend a few years there before you go back to school for business. That way, the principles that they're teaching you, the knowledge they're teaching you can be a little bit more applicable and you can be a lot more decisive on what actually applies modern day versus what's like old news. <laughs> and Absolutely. so, yeah, yeah. some I of the books that. that we read in college, I, I see that where, you know, they're talking about some older companies, you know, I think if they were talking about, you know, MySpace or something, I was like, God, these books are so old and they're $300 and I'm paying out of pocket, you know, it will really piss people off, right? But some people just going in for the sake of their parents and credits. Yeah, it's definitely a waste of time. And on that note as well, like you said about, you know, applying yourself or getting the right education kind of thing where UMKC has this great program called e-scholarship program. So it really walks you through on if you were to start up a business, you know, a startup basically, a tech focus or anything, how would you go about things? So it's really eye-opener on that so that's one of those programs i highly recommend so and i'm sure there's else ones out there but in the meantime like just to graduate you have to take a lot of courses that might not mean much but i mean once you get the basics out of the way really honing in on what you want to do i literally had an internship at a the roastery coffee company even though i had my business just to learn about marketing and how to you know, companies do and all of that. And I very made it transparent with them too. I told them, this is why I'm here. You know, this is my internship and reasoning for it. I'm not looking for a career to have my job. I just want to see how do you go about your packaging? How do you go about this and that? So definitely, you know, the actual experience really matters, you know, but I'm not an anti-education at all. I think there's a lot, there's a need for that for sure. We're, but getting the right education is a skill in itself too. That's real. That's very real. I do want to ask you, and I know, you know, there's a core foundation inside of you around hard work, especially from that immigrant household background and just being able to see that from your parents. But how did you manage your time? You know, you're talking about, you know, managing a store, you're talking about an internship, you're talking about school, like, and we're not talking, we're talking about math, we're talking about school, school, not basic school, we're talking about hard work, like required yeah. classes, required credit hours, we're talking about coming out of pocket to pay for school. And then I'm sure you have other duties you have to tend to as well within the family and then socially to be able to like maintain your, your mental health. Yeah. So how were you managing all that? And how challenging of a time was that for you? 
Yeah, I think I'm a lot, we have more businesses now and I, I think I got a lot better at it managing time now versus when we had a one store, it felt like operating a hundred of them, right? There was no, we didn't have a second person do a shift. I was working day and night, right? Sleeping in the store, had no idea how to hire people. So that was really, so the thought of even going back to college didn't occur. So eventually when you get extra help, then you would say, okay, if uh, these are my hours of class, I could be gone from the store and the second person is handling business, working seven days straight for three plus years, you know, even to this day, like one day off is enough for me. Six days of work is good. But when you're an entrepreneur, you have your business, you're never off really, right? Uh, but now I really hone in on my calendar. If it makes it to my calendar, it kind of gets done. If it never made it there, it never gets done kind of idea. So I, I, I'm i married with four kids now. So it's more important than ever as well that I make time for personal. And then I have to make time for myself as well. So I think back to your, if there's one thing I have to say is, is being very intentional about your time is key, right? If I have to take a class. I know what, when the semester starts and ends, start making arrangements, do things that you got to do to set in motion. That way, if you're gone, you're not missed for two, three hours from the business, right? Uh, so that's how I, I I learned to delegate as I went along. So I thought if I don't do it, it doesn't get done right kind of mindset. I want to do it. Uh, but delegating and being very intentional. You know, if there's one takeaway, is uh, one word is like intentional. Be very intentional. If you have a mission, a goal, how intentional are you? How, how does it work its way into your calendar and you work it? If it's important, it gets done. Like a lot of people talk about, well, you know, I, I'm too busy. I can't go to college. Well, I can't start a second store. I can't, you know, this and that. If it's important to you, you know, I can't start a YouTube channel, which we'll talk about as well, right? Uh, if it's important to you, it needs to be done, you make time, right? So no matter how busy I am, I make time to post a video on our YouTube channel. You know, 78,000 strong uh, subscribers would hit that 100,000, you know, 19 million reach on Facebook for a convenience store, uh, you know, here in Kansas City is a big deal for us. We Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And it doesn't happen without our fans, you know. And the funny thing is, and, and it, we'll dive a little bit deeper on it a little bit later, but just to touch on it really quick, the funny thing is I have been watching your guys' videos like unintentionally, like unconsciously on Facebook, just not knowing that it was like, and I was like, fave trip, fave trip, fave trip. I've never seen a fave trip. And then I started seeing fave trips around town. I was like, wait, fave trip is here. But then I just assumed, okay, this is a nationwide, you know, like BP or something like that. And then I yeah. was like seeing all this content. And then once I saw that y'all were getting big numbers again, I was like, yeah, this definitely can't be Kansas City, Kansas City only company. And then Seth introduced me to you and I went to your LinkedIn page and I was like, hold up. I was like, so he must not be based out of Kansas City. Oh, no, it's Kansas City based. Oh, yeah. no, all the locations are in Kansas City. So that's really dope. And, and with that being said, can we kind of dive into fave tripping? Can you give a brief history from like store one to I believe you said store like 10 stores or, or yeah, 12? We, we, we're, we're 12 stores strong. And, and the way we operate is we operate three of them under their fave trip umbrella. And because so it's like the branding side of things where we control the brand. The rest, we more play of the landlord role where we lease out stores to other operators and they could be BP, Phillips, whatever they desire, right? For us, the stores that we operate have to, they're branded fave trip. That means we don't have the, and this I learned through, you know, experience, good and bad experiences and education where, you know, signing up with a big company like Phillips or BP, you tied in with them 10 years, 
besides that, there's no real brand love. They can open next door to you. They don't care as long as they're the ones selling gas. So, so our- let's, let's actually let's let's dive into that as as well. I, I mean, you can kind of choose. I don't want to get it too confused, but like, what is? Can you kind of break down the gas business in general? Yeah. Like, what do you what do you mean uh, signing up under this big company yeah. or like how does that, is that franchise? Is that uh, like a yeah. license fee? Like, what what does that look like? Yeah, here's the simplest way to explain. Like, where if if I have a store and I don't have a contract for anybody to send fuel, uh, I could sign. I could go to BP and say, hey, why don't we you allow us? They give you permission, basically. It's not like a franchisee where, where franchisee is more like they give you a book and you know training and everything and they tell you how to operate. These shell shell companies, BP, they don't do any of that. Phillips, they say they just give you the rights to use their image and you sell their gas, but exclusive their gas you can't buy from anybody else. So what they do is they'll say, We're gonna rebrand your store, we're gonna spend about thirty, forty thousand dollars, sign here. And you sign and you're stuck with them for 10 years and you can't wiggle the prices could go haywire. And they really don't care after that. Once you sign the contract, good luck getting a meeting with them anymore. Right. They're <laughs> right. Gone. Exactly. No loyalty at all. We saw that and we said, we will front the money for the image if we could get the branding correct and just learn as we go along and we'll give the money for the image. And we've done that. And now we're to the point where, you know, other fuel suppliers will give us money for the, you know, making a fave trip and then we could operate that way. But we felt that, you know, that personal touch, the loyalty was missing. So now we could pull gas from any place that Quick Trip or Hy-Vee or Phillips does. We can even pull Phillips if we want to, right? It's like we have that pull. Even though we're small, it's good to be able to choose who we're getting gas from, who has the best price. But if you're with BP and they had a spill somewhere and their prices are 10 cents higher than anybody, you, good tough luck you you just got to buy from them and what whatever the market does you're at the mercy of the market right if i'm buying gas at three dollars a gallon and everybody in my server area is 285 i'm going to be selling it for 285 and i'm going to lose money every day and i can't do anything about it so that's right. how, kind of the logistics side of things of when you sign sign a fuel contract and and in the convenience store slash gas, you know, gas station business, am I right or wrong when I assume that the majority of the money comes from inside the store, not from the yeah. gas itself? Could you kind of break that yeah. down? Yeah. The So the, the breakdown is outside, you know, five days a week, you don't know what the cost is going to come out. You don't control that, right? One day you can make 10 cents. The next day you might be losing some, right? So it's a scary mark. Inside, you're always going to know what you're going to make on Pepsi and you control that as well. Pepsi can and all that. So a lot of us depend on the inside still to be consistent or better. And outside, again, it's very fluctuating and you never, you just never know. You're at the mercy of the market. That's what the gas is almost meant to be sometimes a loss leader. So you get people to come to the pump, work your way you know, they make their way inside is where you really make money from, for sure. Got you. That makes sense. That makes sense. You are correct. You are correct. You're on to assume that. Yes. And when, and when, when we, when you say it fluctuates and you have no control over that, when, how do you, this is just like a a customer interest, like a consumer interest. As we drive by the store, I'm like, yo, how do they know when to change the numbers? Like about the price? Like, how do you guys find that out? Do you get a text message every day? Hey, move the price to 285 or like, what does that look like? But every day at 6 p.m., the market usually closes for as far as for us for the lock in on the fuel thing. So then you'll see, you know, if your costs, 
whatever it is, you have to you really at the mercy of the big boys that are in your area, how they're gonna play. If their cost is three dollars fifteen cents, they're not gonna go on and say, We'll keep selling it for two ninety nine. You're waiting for them to go up and you go up right away. But if you're you're a small operator and the market is really tough where you have Walmart as Murphy USA in the market and they really you know, any market they land, usually the little guys disappear because they're they usually run them away by keeping the price so low that people can survive off of that. So that's how you, it usually is. The market kind of controls whatever your area is. You know, that's why you might notice in Kansas, since the price comes in a little higher, 10 feet, they're usually a little higher than Missouri. So you're at the mercy of the street price, uh, what it's going to be. And it's very individual. It's not like lease summit price is going to be similar to Independence or Grandview, right? It's, it's very different because it comes in different too. Yeah. And, and like, I, it's funny when you're in the car and you, you know, we don't understand a lot of people, especially if we're not in the industry, understand how it works. So like somebody will be like, yeah, why the hell is in South Kansas city, the gas 20 cents higher than it is in this, you know, more wealthier neighborhood or something like that. It would be a little confused. You'd be like, shouldn't it be higher in the wealthy neighborhood and lower in this neighborhood, but it just doesn't function like that, at least from what you're saying. So no, no, no functionality like that behind it. No. <laughs> and so I want to I want to talk about, you know, brand has to be extremely important then from that yeah. perspective. If you're making money off of what's inside, you need to draw people inside. You need to yeah. have people con- wanting to continue to come back because of the relationship they have with that gas station and the, the vibe it brings them, the energy it brings them. Quick Trip's done a good job with that just inside. Like everybody's like QT, QT, the vibe, the colors, the pay. There's just a whole bunch of different things that like attract people to the store. So yes, from a branding perspective, how have you guys at Fave Trip been able to like gather attention and build genuine relationships with the consumers that con- you know, customers, consumers, friends, however you refer to them, yeah. come in, that, that come into your store on a daily basis? We call them the Fave Trip family. So that that's what we call online. So branding definitely stands out. You know, you have, you got to back it up with operation, right? So we, we really wanted a clean, neat image. So it starts on the outside, works its way indoors, and then the staff and everything. So, and the other thing for us was like, if we're Fave Trip, we're the only Fave Trip for us. But when we're like, a, we've been through many other, you know, brands like Valero, Philips and Shell and BP. We, we, we were not fans at all when there was no differentiator of these brands, right? So if some gas station down the street is a BP and we're a BP and they have a bad name, it kind of trickles down into your store. So there's really no control over it, right? It works great for somebody that has no idea branding and they slap on BP and it works good for them. It's good. Plus they have the power of the credit cards where a lot of people, they're giving incentives on their credit cards. They use that. For us, it was an uphill battle, really establishing ourselves online and offline, Very going back to being very intentional, keeping the store nice and clean. Because a lot of times what happens if your contract is up with uh, Philips, they'll come and or require you and tell you you're the one that's going to take down our image. If we see it on here for the next two weeks, we're going to stop finding it. So when they take it down, they really tear up the store. And the small operator, if he can't afford it, he just leaves it as it is. And a lot of people think it's a closed down station or something happened to it. I don't want to fill up from here. It looks kind of tacky. We definitely didn't want to be one of those stores early on. Like we took pictures and we told our staff we're going to do better. And I'm flattered thanks to our staff and the the love for our favorite family is that people think we're some kind of big chain. We get requests from 
Canada, Mexico, and, and you know, other states, uh, Detroit and Florida, they'd be like, hey, when are you going to open one here and this and that? And we have no intention of going, you know, nationwide. It's not just our plan. And might change in the future, but right now we like the the home small feeling of a station brand that you could control. We had the opportunity to allow people to use the branding as well for incentive uh, where, you know, one gallon off their thing of them. So, but we went back to the idea that if they don't operate the way we operate, they don't greet the people we do, they don't play the music, you know, the scent that we have in the store, everything matters, you know. So if you can't control it, we shouldn't give away our rights for the name as well. So we've been very intentional on keeping it in, you know, in-house. And we learn a lot from Quick Trip. I actually met the CEO of Quick Trip at an event, had a great one-on-one. They're, they're really an amazing company uh, for sure. And so when, when we think about like brand drivers, I know you were, you were mentioning, you know, the scent in the store, the music, like different things that really drive home. This is yeah. the Fave Trip brand. What like three things come to mind for Fave Trip? Like for somebody who's never been in a Fave Trip, what are they going to notice that's different about Fave Trip than Quick Trip or the local BP? I think the personality of the staff, you know, we have a, a way of, you know, making sure they feel welcome, you know, not very structured. Like even on Quick Trip, if you go in, their ideas in and out quickly. 545, thank you, have a good day, next please, kind of thing. We don't do that. We 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 want to be fast and we are fast, but we also have, I feel like our stores have personality. Each one of them has their own artwork, mural artwork supported by a local artist, right? Bannister has very different than Independence. Grandview, we opened up from ground up, is very different. And we're teaming up with the local school to have artwork on the wall and inside and everything. So it's very intentional and there's personality to each store as well. And the staff, I think, are the main drivers that show personality. Each store has a drive-through. We were doing drive-through before it became popular, uh, way before COVID. Now we're right after COVID, a lot of C stores operator, gas station operators, we need to have a drive-through as well besides having a gas station. But we've been doing it and our drive-through continue to be busy. And we have delivery service. We're one of the few stores right among 7-Eleven before COVID, right at COVID, we started doing full store in-store delivery, you know. So what does that look like, by the way? Break, break that down. Is that like through partnering with a third party, uh, people like yeah. DoorDash and things like that? And how right. do you uh, register your business to be able to do that? So talk about that yeah. process. We we, uh, we have a third party that we use. It's kind of like a white label that handles the backend software side of it. Funny enough, and a lesson for entrepreneur and this podcast, a lot about teaching people as well. We had a a full ready code to do delivery like three years before COVID. And I was sharing it with staff and saying, we're going to have a delivery service. Uh, who would be lazy to get delivery, you know, from a convenience store and, you know, no way. But right before COVID, we were like 85%, 90% complete to deploy it. But when COVID kicked in, a lot of lockdown happened. We teamed up with a company called Varum, and I'm actually an investor in the company as well. Uh, they had it figured out. They knew exactly how the delivery worked and they had all the database available to skew data and everything. And we scrapped our entire things. You know, it was hard to do because you almost get attached to the code. And well, we're not going to figure that if we figure it out, it's going to be way too late. So we went in and teamed up with them. I was actually doing the deliveries myself. Talk about being hands on. I'll go in my car, do the initial deliveries. 
a year later, we teamed up with DoorDash. And actually, uh, a couple of months ago, we signed up with Uber as well. So we're able to do that with this, you know, we knock on the wood, don't have as much as staffing issues, but it's a blessing where that's one thing we don't have to worry about. We just want to operate the store, but the delivery side, and it's been great, a great differentiator for us, for sure, being able to offer that delivery. And another thing I must say that we're one of the first stores that got approved for food stamps via delivery among 7-Eleven. So we, and we offer fresh produces at our stores as well at a reasonable price. We teamed up with a local company called Cambie's uh, Market. You might have heard yes. of. Yeah, um, I have, yeah. We, we work with them to offer that and being able to deliver that to seniors when they are home and worried about, you know, catching COVID. Even after COVID, our numbers look good for the delivery service. So it's been a great experience overall. But the lesson was if we are still married to our code, probably would have still launched. If it launched, it would have been very, you know, clinky. So teaming up with the party that has it figured out was the best thing we ever did. I love it. I love it. And you mentioned being one of the first to to do drive throughs as well. So can you talk about how, you know, resourceful that's been or has it been a challenge? Has it been an obstacle or has it always been like a good thing to have where you're like, wow, I wish other gas stations did this as well. And what are people normally buying when they come through the drive throughs? So like, is it like, you know, just cigarettes and, and, and like the typical stuff that they get at the front counter? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it helps when you, if you're a mom or a, a father that's in a hurry to go to school, have their kids in the car and you don't bring them all out, you know, get, getting that temptation of sugar kicking in. But a lot of the, you know, it, it helps to have the drive through. And even if you have, you know, pets and you don't want to get them out of the car and all that. So it was definitely a differentiator. But the main things that a lot of people buy are drinks, you know, monster drinks, five hour energy shots, cigarettes, you name it. We'll get them anything and everything pretty much from the store. You know, our uh, independent store in particular, uh, 24 hour drive through service. So whatever you need from the store, we, we, we get it to you. So that that definitely helps of as an entrepreneur or somebody that's business minded, you want to take inspiration from anybody and everybody. So we read a lot about this, you know, through the National Association of Convenience Stores, where in other states, people were doing drive through. So I was like, okay, how can we do that? The challenge has become, if you have existing building, how do you embed that in there? Uh, it might have been even a drive through at one point, but it got closed down because closed mindedness where, where, oh, convenience stores don't need drive through. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you definitely is a, but I also in the past, some other people, you know, took me on as a consultant to say, you know, how do we add a drive-through in there? And they did, but if they can't back it with operation, right, they got the fanciest headphones, everything, but if the staff doesn't have a buy-in, it doesn't work. And three months later, they closed down the drive-through, but we're happy that anytime we committed to it, we see it through to make sure it works. And you always get customers feedback. So, Instead of running and grabbing stuff, we started doing the cooler next to the drive-through, you know, small size cooler. And and we're very data-driven. So we could tell what SKUs move a lot quicker than the other. So we carry the monster, the Red Bull SKU for sure. But you don't want to put Rockstar in there because Rockstar energy doesn't move as quickly as a five-hour energy, right? So we tried to get the right SKUs at the right time to the right people. To, I love you know. that. And you and you mentioned being data-driven. How how 
how influential was that from your background in you know, you see, you talked about you had a, a stint at a Sprint. You talked about a stint at JFK in a specific role. So how did those roles from like your past prior to, you know, engaging full time as an entrepreneur, like yeah. influence the business or help you? Like what skills may may you have pulled from from that background and implemented into Fave Trip? A great question. I love it. <laughs> this is good. So I, I tell everybody, no matter what experience you had, for me, it feels like a full 360, right? So when I worked at JFK Airport, I understand the IT side of things. So I wasn't afraid to take on a code or do the delivery thing, right? One of our sort of has self-checkout, you know, the network, how do you connect them? And all that helped me there. And when when you're in New York or LA, usually you're involved with, you know, short films for fun and this and that, trying to be... I had friends that on the weekend we would shoot short films. That kind of helped me with the YouTube channel, right? Hence the YouTube channel, right? Uh, if I worked at Dunkin' Donuts uh, construction, there was a lot of things about the customer service and even how I got treated from my bosses, good or bad. I took that and I said, if I have a company, I'm going to give my staff a month advance schedule. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So taking all that, so all experience, you combine it and kind of apply it. So in your life, you, you know, even in college, sometimes there's a certain class you might have taken. Uh, you, as a, this is not useful at all. But later down your career path, you might find a useful going down the line. For me, it definitely feels that way. I take all my IT experience, you know, my background, my parents really pushing me to work hard. And that that allows me to take on a challenge where, you know, I was willing to put in the 5 a.m. to close at 12. It didn't, you know, otherwise, I, I think mentally, if I wasn't ready for that, if they didn't got me ready, I would have given up within the first year or less, but let alone surviving for three first years and working seven days a week, nonstop trying to make, you know, make it happen. So it was interesting combining all that experience. So any entrepreneur listening, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this is like, see where you want to be, you know, in the future or later, like uh, I might have a desire. I want to develop a video game, for example. You know, what do I like? Instead of just playing the game, maybe understand why you like it and understand who made it. Maybe apply for an internship there, right? Uh, and things like that. Or read about the CEO if you want to, you know, start a company or you know, and all that. So I think all your experiences matter, good or bad. Take it for face value and find ways to apply it and learn from that. I love that. I love that. And and that kind of makes me think like just a quick recommendation for folks out there. Like if you're literally about to start a business and you have an ex you have some experience from some of your past jobs, negative or positive, maybe like create a little T-chart, like all the positive things you liked about your boss or your experience at this old at your old jobs and all the negative things you didn't like. And then you can kind of like take that framework and apply it to your new business, especially when it comes to how you're treating your staff or how you, you know, how you're putting out schedules like some of the things you mentioned i was like boom yeah that's a major key because i'm definitely like oh we didn't get our schedule until two days before the next week this is shitty like this is pissing me yeah. off like blah, well, blah, blah. I, I, I worked at dunkin donuts and i was on a sunday and a monday i was on the on the thing where are is he gonna send me my schedule i didn't know if i'm opening and it's like 9 p.m and i was like god if i ever have a business and i didn't think i will at the time i was like, i'm gonna make sure and our staff minimum a month advance schedule all of them get that we want them to have a personal life so yeah back to your point like really learning from that and doing uh because you you want to put yourself in their shoes as well it's not always like you know people say 
you're dedicated to the company. There's no life besides work. And we want you to, because our policies come happy, leave happy, not just for customer, but staff as well. You can't do that if you don't have a personal life at all. But when they get off work, we don't want them to worry about coming back to work at all. Oh, this, this person didn't show up. So we're very picky on who we bring in. And a lot of the, the culture side of thing, we do take that from Quick Trip and learn from them as well, for sure. Hell yeah, hell yeah. And and I want to talk about the large like volume of South Asian individuals running gas stations across America. Can you talk or can you speak to that in any way? I know you said when you guys came to Kansas City, yeah. it's because you were speaking with, you know, other convenience store owners in the local area. So like not to assume that they were South Asian, but like with the with the yeah. South Asian community just being large, you go into most gas stations across the town. You're going to run unless, into unless from- they're a big chain. They're usually owned by a corporate company, you know, like Quick Trip or something. But yeah. the local locally owned and operated, yeah, are a and there's definitely a reasoning behind that. At least what I come to understand as well. A lot of if they're immigrants and you know they've been driving a cab all their life, they have some savings, they want to use that. So the gas station is not as challenging, you know, compared to tell them to work for you know Intel or. IBM, unless they went to the college for that particular job, it's a different story. But a lot of people, like I know some people that work talk bare minimum, at least when they started, uh, bare minimum English and pointing. And they literally, some of them will have to say, point at which Marlboro brand you want or whatnot. And eventually they catch on to, hey, how's it going? Good morning. And and I seen people that came to the country a year later, they're speaking perfect English, right? So I think the operation side of things is not as difficult for some people. Like they say, oh, worst case scenario, nobody comes. I'll just stay here and work the shift, right? Save on payroll, whatever. So I think the language barrier is definitely appealing where the operation side of things is not as intense. You know, you're not running a restaurant where you're cooking and doing this and that. You're just scan and go and wishing people well, right? A lot of people are in a hurry already. I think that definitely appeals to a lot of, you know, uh, immigrant immigrant families for sure. I love it. And, you know, on the topic of family, you know, I want to ask you, you know, you're a father of four. How has how do you think about entrepreneurship when you're speaking to your kids and then balancing that with like education? And the only reason why I ask from that perspective is just right now at this new generation, everyone's either this or that. I know you said that you're not that with that mindset, but like they're either college only or or like go out there and get a trade. So as you, I assume your children are young. So as you start to, as you're raising them, like how do you think about like how you're going to guide them around entrepreneurship or making money or, or, or college? Like, where do you think you're leaning in terms of your recommendations or when you're going to be having these conversations? Just like myself, like I had, you know, my parents might've thought a different pathway for me and I kind of, you know, made my own and eventually you do, you do, you do that. Right. For me, First and first most, I want them to be good human beings that care care for everybody, right? And take take care of themselves. But I necessarily have not set anything in motion for them to say, you're either an entrepreneur or you're going to do a business. And they're quite young. I have a four-year-old all the way to my oldest daughter is 15. So I want them to carve their own path. You know, nothing was, you know, handed to me. I had to find my 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 way in this country. And this is definitely the land of opportunity. You know, if you're hardworking, you put your mind to it, you could definitely, you know, 
the odds are not stacked against you compared to when you're in other countries. You you, you need to have a good last name in, in, in Pakistan and elsewhere if you're going to make it anywhere, unfortunately. But here, I, you know, I was a doorman. I opened doors for rich folks back in the day, but I kept studying computers, almost got fired from doing that. And uh, eventually I landed the job at the airport and I thought, this is it. You know, I found the American dream. My father was a doorman actually, and I was settling in at the doorman job, but soon I realized this country has a lot more to offer. So if, back to your point, for me in, in particular, even college, I tell them, understand, like I'm, I'm encouraging them a lot to read books like Start With Why by Simon, uh, Element, Finding Your Element is another good book. Uh, Strength Finder, which I mentioned earlier in the interview, is a good one. Like you take that survey and it gives you four key, you know, things, traits that you should really hone in on. If you feel that early stages, it might be hard for you to tell because you're young, but eventually that's something that you want to hone in on. Talk sure. about how that book helped you. Talk about how Strength Finders helped you and like what yeah. a what character traits did you identify really, you know, identify with you? You're like, oh, I'm an achiever. Oh, I'm this. So like. Talk about how that book helped you and like how you've been able to apply that to real life and, and especially as a business owner. Yeah, one of the ones that stood out to me was like uh, the life learner one, you know, was out, out there for sure. So I was like, I couldn't understand sometimes when the semester was over and business is running good. Why do I feel sad, depressed? You know, then I was like, you know, something's missing. And I was like, you know, I think I miss going back to college. I need to continue to keep go going. Before I thought like, no, I'm you know, trying to pinpoint it. And then anytime I'm at college, I'm learning something and having a place to apply. I was the happiest I could be, right? So that's that really, I, I had to hone in and accept that more than ever. And achiever as well, like setting a goal, achieving it and setting myself out of the way of the staff and letting them take over. And then some people more would be focused on ongoing operation. That wasn't for me. I would like to get in, set a goal, achieve it, and and step away. And the other book I mentioned, Start With Why, like sort of a health journey as well. A lot of entrepreneurs, and to all the entrepreneur listener, they put their health last, right? I When I started the business, uh, even during the business, I weighed 220 pounds. Like I was not taking care of my health. Then I went for a physical checkup. My chest was hurting. And I made a video about that on our YouTube channel, too, that seemed to be well received. Uh, my doctor told me I need to lower down my cholesterol. And that was my why. Start with why. And I was happy to reading that because like, my why is I want to be around for my kids, healthy as I could be. And I started making better choices. It's really hard working in a convenience store surrounding with food uh, that is very. A lot know, of snacks, <laughs> a lot of snacks and energy drinks. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, choosing an apple that we sell a banana over a snicker bar, which I did on the daily before. So I, I got down to down uh, as 143. Now I'm at sitting at 160 because my family started being concerned and everybody was like, oh, my God, something's wrong. And anybody I met, they thought something was wrong and take them to the side. But I'm holding it down at 158, 160 now. But I feel great. And my yeah, doctor dive, dive into that a little bit deeper, because I saw that story actually not from your page, but from Micah's um from from hitch fit uh owner yeah so can you talk about that story like maybe one challenge and then one like really huge win i know you just shared the the awesome transformation from a from a weight perspective but like how good did you feel like what was a really challenging wall that you faced that might have helped you overcome or was there any uh mindset shift that you had to change around food or around snacking that really helped you like develop a new mental 
you know, framework or strategy around eating or exercise that helped you like achieve that goal? Or was it just strictly discipline? No, discipline on its own is not enough, right? So, and back, I'm glad you know Micah as well. So, you know, when they say, uh, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I wasn't quite ready for a lot of people going the mindset of, let me join a gym, let me hire a trainer, all that. And I'd done that in the past and I will lose 10, 15 pounds, get to 190 and hit straight back. Uh, take like three, four months to lose some, you know, 10 pounds, gain it back within a matter of weeks, right? So it was the wrong way of doing things and the eating and everything, the the mentality really had to change. And I think it came down to the daily habits and the other book I'll recommend is the Atomic Habit book is really powerful and recognizing, okay, what do I do when I go to the store? Okay, I'm grabbing a coffee, then I'm grabbing a grandma cookie and then a Starbucks Frappuccino at the store at eight. How about if I change that and I got a kind bar, you know, that has less cal and be very about going back to being intentional, right? So doing all that, then I, I, I reached a point where I was like 175. And I was like, okay, I'm happy. You know, back then, I couldn't go out for walks, long walks with my kids or play with them. I didn't have the energy, or even the, you know, the mindset, I just want after work, I want to be left alone, kind of moody as well about it. Now I feel great where I'm telling them, let's go biking, let's go do this. But there's a big shift. And I'm a lot happier than I was before. But being intentional, it was definitely a challenge, you know, going from fatty oily food especially from asian family that spicy hot food that everybody uh, you know over the weekend you know being the guy that wants uh dash and white eggs now right but i do have my weekly cheat meals but overall it matters what you do a lot and simon i'll quote as well from the book you know you don't you worry you know you don't brush your teeth one day eight times right you eight days if you brush them produces results it's not that one day that you did it for eight hours you know kind of idea so same thing with the gym you know you have to have a hard time taking me to gym now i have a hard time getting out of it like the day i don't go i i feel sad so it had to change but it didn't happen again a lot of people want that instant gratification change in a matter of a month this pin has a long two-year journey and this is the longest i ever have kept my weight off and i plan on keeping it off for sure because I know yeah, what's, yeah. what's on the opposite side is it's not good. Exactly. You've I experienced just, that. Yeah. Yeah. And oftentimes, unfortunately, it has to get to that point for a lot of people where they have to experience the pain or the 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 future pain has to be really communicated well to them for them to understand that they don't want to go in that direction. So either they have to experience it or somebody has to help them visualize the future pain that they'll face if they continue down this path. And yeah. so I really love, I really love, you know, I was learning about your story and then I saw your post pop up uh, from Mike or Micah's post pop up about you. And that made me even more happy. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. Although it's been a few months since we have initially connected, I'm really happy that we're able to make this one happen today. So I have a few final questions for you before we wrap up, because I want to respect the hour time frame we've, we've uh, allotted for the show. But, um, you know, you're a father of four and I want to ask you what has been the happiest and what has been the most challenged you've been during your time as a father? So I know it's been 15 years of being a father. What has yeah. been the happiest moment that you can think of? I'm sure there's thousands, but what's the happiest moment that can come to your mind? And then what's the biggest challenge and how have you been like working to overcome that? Yeah, I, I think the happiest is being able to manage, finally having a schedule, right? Uh, making my own schedule. And what I mean by that is being able to spend time with each individual kid making them the highlight of the day kind of thing where I 
being able to give them that time and then making time for yourself makes me the happiest and the happiest, you know, let's call it a good week. If I had a good week, giving everybody their fair time and then making time for yourself is the happiest I could be, right? Challenging times are usually when everything at the store is going well, not going well, and, you know, things are falling apart and I keep having to step in and and I didn't delegate or didn't set things in motion properly and it frustrates me or the customer experience is going bad, you know, uh, that becomes a challenge for sure. And then it's like, when you're not enjoying operating the business, it's not a business anymore. You know, it's like a job as well. It turns into a job, right? So th those are the kind of things that frustrate me. But I have very, it used to be an everyday thing back in the days. We're talking about nine, 10 years ago. Now it's like, I I, I push it down far enough where I do have a, a good six months, seven months, and then one day it pops up where, Everybody so happens to be sick. Things are not working. Pumps are going out of order. The tech company is not coming. But I, I notice uh, I'm not as frustrated as I, I used to be, right? I will go in and start troubleshooting myself and I can only be so many places at once, right? But it doesn't frustrate me as I, as I used to. Going back to the mindset of being okay with there's only so much I could do as one human being, right? And same thing, I have, I have to translate that to our staff as well. There's only so much you could do. If Google Fiber or somebody's internet is down, there's not much you could do about it. I mean, there's only so much you could do. But we set things in motion where you do have that. If there's an option out there that we could have used to solve or we learn from it, we want to do that when things go back up and going. So anytime things are frustrating, it usually has to do with operations when things are not going the way we, we want them to be or having some bad hires where we didn't recognize certain things. That, But I think the biggest blessing the Thing that makes me really happy is being able to make my schedule and that's not a schedule that says monday through friday 8 a.m to 5 as entrepreneurs you make your schedule where you know if i made three four good decisions for the business and i could call it a day two hours later i'm okay with that or going back to the mentality of being able to work hard i do have that mindset i have to put in the hours the brainstorm everything and it takes me 12 hours i'm gonna do that right so those are my happiest and sometimes frustrating days for sure. Currently, love it. Thank you for sharing. I did want to quickly touch on you know you were mentioning the National Association of Convenience Stores and that you joined their content committee. So I know you've been killing it on YouTube. So any recommendations you have for any other? I mean, we can say entrepreneurs in general, but let's just sp speak specifically to people who might be interested in the convenience store space, the gas station space around content creation, like any tips, any guidance for, for, for those uh, folks out there? Cause you're killing it on YouTube and make sure you plug that before we sign out today. But yeah, you're killing it on YouTube. You're killing it on Facebook. So share yeah, whatever comes to mind. Anytime, anytime we're learning about a new industry, I think going to a trade show definitely helps to open your eyes, what this industry is about. I think that's usually a good short shortcut, right? Like right now we're trying to look at, for example, we have some space and, we want to learn more about the beauty hair supply kind of thing. So Atlanta has a trade show. I might go to that. Fave Trip wants to do more private label. Chicago, we have an upcoming trade show that I'm going to attend. Uh, so the, I think if somebody's wanting to learn, a National Association of Convenience is a great resource. And they're very super helpful. If you even want to call and just learn and ask them questions, they're more than willing to guide through that. And when it comes to YouTube, trial and error, a lot of people start off really high where I'm going to kill it. I'm going to be the next Mr. Beast, which is great. 
but you got to be in for a passion for the long run and keep your expectations low, right? Before when it comes to YouTube. So uh, any any industry you want to dive, I think the shortcuts usually, like if I had to dive into YouTube again, I'll probably go to the Vid Summit kind of YouTube kind of thing where go in there or just buy their, you know, after COVID, a lot of these trades should allow you to buy into their video classes that they gave if you can't afford to go or spend time and be away from work or fam, that's usually one good one. Now, there's another one, social media examiner. When I was in the dive of learning all about social media, Facebook, Snapchat, I just bought it. I went to San Francisco one time. And then the next time, the year, a couple of years later, when I wanted to sharpen up my skills again, I bought all their classes instead of paying the, you know, attending and spending a couple of grand a couple of hundred dollars got all their class and washed each one of them and took notes and apply that. So that's my advice to everybody when you're trying to dive into an industry new or, you know, convenience stores as well. I love it. You mentioned your three main locations for Fave Trip. Um, and then you also mentioned, you know, the YouTube and Facebook. So before we sign out of here today, can you make sure you plug the addresses for those locations for those who listen and live locally in yeah. Kansas City? And then can you plug your social media so they can find you and continue to support moving forward? Yeah, thank you. So uh, we have Fave Trip in Independence at 10507 East 23rd Independence. The second uh, uh, Fave Trip we have is at 9500 Blue Ridge Boulevard, Kansas City, Missouri. And we build one from ground up, which was one of my bucket lists to build a store from ground up, which you've probably seen some progress online. And we're finally open three weeks strong and going. So that address is 6501 Main Street, Grandview, Missouri. And, and a side note about Main Street, that was the Grandview was the first area where I learned to be a cashier. And now wow. 15, 16 years really, we build our store there. So American Dream is alive and well. And our YouTube channel, go check us out. We're trying to hit 100,000 subscribers, youtube.com slash favetrip, F-A-V-T-R-I-P. I love it. I love it. Babier, thank you so much today. This conversation has been amazing. I hope we can run it back for a part two later in 2023 to see where growth is happening in the business and how things are going. Um, you know, my goals are to be able to have as large of an audience and fan base as you, man. So I'm just trying to catch up. You're an yeah. inspiration. Um, the final question for today is it's your last day on earth. You're 150 years old. You've lived a life that you've wanted to live healthy, strong, happy. Your kids are amazing. There's being a great source of light for the world. Fave trip is booming, but it's your last day on earth and your great, great grandchildren are sitting at your feet and they ask you great, great grandpa. What's one piece of advice on how to live a good life? What are you going to tell them? Uh, be a good human being and care for others, but treat them how you want to be treated and you will live a happy life for sure. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Babier, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the show. Make sure you leave a five-star review as that's the only way we can grow. Share with a friend. Tag us on Instagram. Tag us on LinkedIn. We appreciate you. This is your boy, C-I-Z-Z-Y, signing out.